The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. MLB show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 204 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Fedorsky. Baseball's back. Uh, we had our first spring training game, first spring training games. Um, I was lucky enough to attend. Uh, I was at the Cubs-Giants game Saturday. The security at Sloan Park was uh, particularly comical. Um, I was actually almost able to sneak into Eddie Vedder's suite. Um, instead, I almost met a congressman. It was a lot of almosts. Um, and the Giants almost made a lot of strong defensive plays, but I think I ended up making like four or five errors in a game. The Cubs won 9-7. Uh, I'm not sure David Ross got the whole spring training memo. Um, but all that said, I've been banging this drum for a couple weeks, and then I'll tell my baseball story for the week. David Ross threw out his starting lineup at that spring training game. And when I was looking at the lineup, and granted, Sia Suzuki got hurt in that game. He has an oblique injury. I don't know when he'll necessarily be back. Uh, and he's missing the World Baseball Classic. Whatever the Bavada Sportsbook.com over-under is on the Cubs, if it's 81 and 81, which I think is reasonable, I think I've talked myself into them being an above 500 team. I, I don't think they have anybody that outstanding other than Dansby, but they just have a lot of really solid baseball players. Now, the flip side of that is they might suck because they just have a lot of just solid baseball players. I feel like they'll commit uh, – they'll fit in nicely with, with your almost theme day because I think they're almost a 500 team. They're not good. They don't, they, they don't inspire. They, they're not a roster that inspires. That I will 100% um, concede to you. They, they are not an inspiring team. It just looks like they have, they have a lot of parts that I like. Um, you also texted me that their big offseason move, Cody Ballinger. I, you're, I don't – I mean, I could pull it up, but more or less your text read, this guy doesn't know how to hit. I can't believe he won an MVP. His swing is terrible. That was more or less exactly what I said. But Dansby looked good. Looked, looked real good at short. Hosmer, Mancini. Um, you got a tiny finger on your hand. That's cool. Just, just yeah, notice that. It's a middle finger. On a, no, you're giving I the thought, mini. You, I honestly thought it was an index finger. Yeah, uh-huh. you also, you also made a very good comparison. Um, when I said Yelich should have won that second MVP, you said he's like Dale Murphy, random white outfielder who won multiple MVPs. I think, I mean, Dale Murphy had a really good borderline Hall of Fame career, but I like that comparison, so I'm going to shout you out for it. Um, but. Here is my fun baseball story from the weekend. Um, so I sent you the picture. Um, I was at the innings festival. It's again, spring training music festival. It's why I was in Arizona and Eddie Vedder was one of the headliners. And, and if you don't know Eddie Vedder, he's the lead singer of Pearl Jam. He's like me and Bryce. He is a baseball nut. I, I mean, to me, one of the most iconic photos from that 2016 Cubs world series run is before game seven, him and Theo having a catch in center field. Eat, sleeps, and breathes Cubs baseball. So 
I had the pleasure to meet uh, Hall of Famer Randy Johnson. I did not have time to ask him about his photography skills because it was literally we were going in towards the end and they were just churning people in and out. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to risk not being able to meet him. Quick aside, were they doing pictures and autographs or just pictures? Just pictures. I think Grady Sizemore, who was next to him, was doing autographs because uh, the Grady line, a little shorter and he's a little bit younger, more personable. Um, but Ryan Dempster, uh, who I'm a big Ryan Dempster fan after this weekend, uh, he both nights had something called Off the Mound where he interviewed people. So he's interviewing Eddie Vedder. They're talking baseball. Dempster also, great self-deprecation. Um, he actually pointed out that Albert Pujols owes his Hall of Fame career to Dempster because I think he homered off of Dempster like 20 times, which was the most of any pitcher. So Randy Johnson's coming out after Eddie. And Dempster's like, Eddie, you know, I know you have a question to ask Randy. I guess, you know, they're friends because Pearl Jam came up in the Seattle scene when Randy Johnson was pitching there. So it makes sense. And Eddie's telling the story about the first Temple of the Dog show. Um, which for those who don't know, it was, it was basically Pearl Jam and Chris Cornell who went on to be in Soundgarden, Audio Slave, great solo career. And Eddie's like, I wasn't in the band at this time, but this is an urban legend. And you could see Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson don't get tensed up very easily. You could see him starting to get uncomfortable. And Eddie basically tells the story that Randy Johnson kind of dances around and like admits to without admitting to it. that At this Temple of the Dog concert in 1990, some guy jumped up behind Randy Johnson and smashed a glass over his head, which my immediate response is that guy must have been on a fucking stepladder because Randy Johnson, mm-hmm. 6'10", 6'11", he'll just smash a glass on his head. And Randy Johnson turned around and proceeded to beat the shit out of this guy with a payphone to the point where the security said, Randy, you got to go home. We can't have you here after what you just did. He... That the 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 part of the story that is um that isn't the great I, I have the biggest question about is how somebody could jump jump and get behind Randy Johnson. That's everything else completely checks out. I this is I mean he was young-ish. It was Seattle. There's some interesting folk out there. Uh he did when he got traded to the Yankees, he did have that whole bit with with the cameraman where he got pretty in a cameraman's face. I think he shunned the camera. So the big unit, you get heated. He does have that murder. He did kill a bird. He's also, uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, you know, he's a great rock and roll photographer. He was actually shooting Eddie Sunday. He was very close friends with Getty Lee and Rush, uh, Metallica. The Hall of Fame approached him. I didn't know this, that they were like, oh, we would love for you to do a photography exhibit of you know, baseball things you're taking a picture of, and he pivoted. So opening up this summer in the Baseball Hall of Fame is a Randy Johnson photo exhibit of his time spent in Africa. I don't know if that's a, like a, a must-see a must exhibit. What were the Bavada odds coming into the year that the Baseball Hall of Fame would have an exhibit of pictures that Randy – A, pictures Randy Johnson took, but B, that he took of his time spent in Africa. You'd probably want to parlay those two, maybe a same gamer. It would be high. But again, my sign language teacher is dating one of his old students all of a sudden. So anything's possible. I have many questions for you on that. Um, and I will ask them off air because we don't want to get anyone in trouble. Well, let's go to baseball. Um, Good for you, last, last week, we were talking about Manny Machado and the extension deadline with the Padres. 
And Peter Sider, the new owner of the Padres, I give him credit. He basically said, we are not going to let you go. Move over, Tony Gwynn. When all is said and done, they were on all. I mean, again, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because we it's said this. Move, it's not move game. over, Tony Gwynn. It's build. It's Tony Gwynn. You go from a seat to a bench. Yeah, I mean, we said the same thing about Tatis, so I don't want to get too forward, but I don't think Machado's going to screw up. Um, Machado said he was going to opt out after the year. Now he will be a Padre for the rest of his career. 11 years, $350 million. Uh, he will receive a $45 million signing bonus spread out over the 11-year duration of the contract. Uh, and the way they structured this, uh, again, it's similar to the U Darvish. It's actually the opposite of the U Darvish deal. The U Darvish deal, uh, they front-loaded, and then back end was like 5 for 78. Um, this they backload backloaded heavy, 13 million each of the next three seasons, 21 million in 2026, and then 35 million uh, from ages from 2027 to 2033. It will run through the 2023 campaign, uh, and which will be Machado's age 40 season, and he gets a full no trade clause. So again, he opted out of uh, six years and 180 million dollars. So we will add another five years and 170 million, uh, which if he plays through the life of this deal, that'll put him at. 14 years in San Diego, 15 years. I think he's been there for double check. So I think I, it'll be. Um, so 15 be total. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Cause the opt out was halfway through the 10 original 10 year deal. Yeah. So again, Machado is 30 years old. He originally signed the 10 year, $300 million deal with the Padres in 2019 with the opt out after five. Um, and, and Machado, you know, we're going to mention him in a bit. MLB network did their countdown of the top hundred players in baseball. He's in the top 10. He's in the top five, actually. This year, he was a top three finalist in the MVP. 32 home runs, nine steals, 298, 361, 531 slash line, 152 WRC plus. He's elite defensively, um, 7.4 fan graphs war. And, you know, again, this was no surprise, A, because of Machado's age. He signed that first contract so young. But Judge got 360. Trey Turner got 300. Xander got 280. Uh, Dansby got 177 this offseason. There were so many guys who cashed in and got paid this offseason that A, Machado was going to opt out to try to at least match those, but B, it was a very weak free agent class. Now it's even weaker on the position player side. Um, so Machado stood to make a lot of money, and he did. Uh, originally, they said there was going to be a February 16th deadline and that they offered him an extra 5 for 105. We reported it last week. Um, but credit to uh, A.J. Preller, credit to Peter Sider. They got this all done. Machado will be going into Cooperstown as long as this plays out as a Padre. Um, I love this deal for both sides. What are your thoughts on Machado, you know, re-upping for 11 years, $350 million in San Diego? To me, will probably be, especially if you can bring a wing to San Diego, will be the new Mr. Padre, like you said, alongside Tony Gwynn. Uh, But to me, this just cements, A, that Machado's elite. uh, B, this is his team. It's not Tatis's. This is Machado has emerged as leader of this team, and he's not going anywhere. I I really think Machado, he's probably not the best player in baseball, but, man, you can make – there's some weird case to make that Machado. He's the most reliable. He might be the most reliable player. You know exactly what you're getting from him, game in, game out. He plays 162. And it's a good deal. Like, the first thing I texted you when we heard this deal go through was – Arenado, Arenado opting in is looks terrible, like a terrible business decision by Arenado. But again, the way they structure the deal, like you, you backload it. And in 2034, 2033, $35 million might not be that much. 
the way that things go. And then Machado, he's durable. He play. I think he'll. I think he's going to age very well. I have very little concerns about him aging. I mean, here are Manny Machado's games played in his 11 years in the big leagues. 2012, he came up as a rookie, 51. And in 2014, he got hurt. Uh, I think, I want to say he it was like a bad calf injury, like he tore his calf. Other than that, 2013, 156. 2015, 162. 16, 157. 17, 156. 18, he gets traded, plays all 162 games. San Diego, 156, 153, 150. One of the most, if not the most durable player in baseball. He's got the DH long-term. Uh, I mean, this year, Baseball Reference has the projections to be 26 home runs, 90 ribbies, 281 average, 840 OPS. That looks, seems a little bit I'd like- take the over. I'd, take, I'd probably take the over across the board and the average push. The average is. He's like right. a 285 hitter. You want to play the projections game now? Yeah. All right. So he's got 11 years left uh, on this contract. I'm 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 gonna just say, do you think he will average this, and then I will say what it will result in? I can do the math quick. Does so. Machado average twenty home runs a year for the duration of this contract? Five hundred three homers for the career. Yes, correct. Uh, for three hundred hits, he needs four. He would need to average about 3, how many? Three thousand. You said three hundred. For three thousand hits, he needs another fourteen hundred hits. So over eleven years, that would be. God, my math sucks. Like 130-something hits? <laughs> a little under, but yeah. Okay, that seems pretty doable. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of war, if he averages three war a year over the life of this contract, that puts him at 85 war. So again, we're talking about a guy who... He's like, oh, I, I have an unfortunate player comp for him. If ever, if And I, I think your projections are low. He's a better – he's going to end up being a more universally recognized Adrian Beltre. I was going to say a steroid-free Palmero. Yeah. No, that's fair. So I think assuming Machado stays healthy and based on our very conservative projections, when all said and done, if you – we're going to revisit this 10 years from now. Manny Machado's first appearance on a Hall of Fame ballot, Vado over under Hall of Fame voting percentage in year one. 90. I think I take the over. I think I, well, I get, I mean, we're really going to have to do all these over unders, over under one and a half, or over under 0.5 World Series wins. I think he wins one over the life of the contract. And he's already been to one, if that matters. He was the last out for the 2018 Dodgers. Okay. That kind of answered my question of how did he play in that World Series? I don't um, think, I thought he was fine, but he was. That that Red Sox team was is a forgotten juggernaut of a twenty first century baseball. I think for Machado, it's the perfect combination of just looking at his numbers. It's durability and production, but he came up when he was nineteen. On top of it, mm-hmm. and the one last thing on this contract: if you are a free agent and San Diego calls, pick up the phone. That is a place that is spending like in a in a league now where we're seeing small markets like Pittsburgh. I guess Colorado's a relative small market, not spending any money and getting rid of their good players. San Diego is breaking the bank for these guys time and time again. And I would, at this point, I would be surprised if Soto does not re-up in San Diego long-term. I think they're going to have the core of Machado, Tatis, Bogarts, and Soto for the next half decade at least. 
I mean, that was going to be my next question for you. I, I just don't know how they could afford Soto. Um, I, I know this owner has shown a willingness to spend, but he doesn't have Steve Cohen money. You got Bogarts on the hook for t- 210. You got Tatis for 340. You have Machado for 350. You have Musgrove for 100. You have Darvish for 108. 108. I, I mean, again, I, I don't think you make that trade. I, I don't think you trade for Soto or Hater unless you have the intention of re-signing them, even though they were going for it. But it certainly this adds a new wrinkle to the Juan Soto free agent, uh, free agency upcoming. And honestly, in a lot of ways, dude, if they thought they were going to re-sign Machado, I, I kind of pause and go, "Why'd you sign Xander Bogarts?" <laughs> I when you were reading through those those contracts, or listing off the contracts, hearing the Bogarts one. Again, I'm on. Yeah, I'm, I'm on your side there. I like Bogarts. I think it's a good move, but I don't know. If it's not a move they needed to make. It was a move you were making strictly to hedge against Machado leaving, but it sounded like they were fairly confident based on how this went that a deal was going to get done. Well, the 350 was on the table. They knew he wasn't. Like you're not turning that down from a franchise that you like and have statue potential. The whole thing is just very bizarre to me, but. But well, hey, it's, and, it's, and, and, and you know what? Padres fans deserve this. Um, they had some lean years. They have a beautiful park. It's a great market. I, I'm, it's a and fan. They lost the Chargers. They lost the Chargers, which honestly, if you talk to a lot of Chargers fans, might not frustrate them as much as you think. I don't on, think there are a lot of Chargers fans. I only knew one, and he stopped talking to me and my friends. Because of the Chargers? No, I think because of the pandemic. I was supposed to be in a groomsman in his wedding. I haven't heard from him in three years. Um, for more information, please reach out to friend of the podcast, Sam Schmall. He'll, uh, he'll fill you in. Cause I don't like talking about it. Um, yeah. Chase, I got dark fast. Yeah. Well, it's not just me. It's like an entire group of people. Yeah. Wow. That, um, yikes. I thought the nine out of 10 voices in my head telling me I'm crazy was bad, but at least I got that 10th one. Humming Chesney. It's all good. So let's stick with Manny Machado from a different uh, perspective this week. The pitch clock made its debut this week. And Manny Machado committed the first pitch clock violation in Major League Baseball history. Uh, it occurred in a spring training game Friday when he was docked to strike in the first inning because he was not set and was not facing the pitcher in the batter's box when the clock reached, reached eight seconds. He was facing Robbie Ray in one of the two games Friday that served as a trial run for Major League Baseball's rules overall, and he had now brought his left foot inside the batter's box when the clock, which is prominently featured behind the batter and over the outfield fence, wound it down. Uh, the home plate umpire, Ryan Blankley, then called timeout, pointed to his wrist, the signal for a clock violation, and said, oh, one, uh, Machado then singled. Uh, but he said the time came by quick um, after the game, which breezed by in two hours and 29 minutes. The other game that day was two hours and 33 minutes. Machado said, it's definitely something we're going to have to get used to. It kind of takes away your routine, uh, being up there and zoning in before the pitch. The umpire gave me a little warning. Hey, you got two seconds, but I was already late when I got in there. Uh, and again, the rule is pitchers have 15 seconds to start their delivery when bases are empty and 20 seconds with runners on base. And they are given an automatic ball if the clock expires. Um, we also saw the band of the ship this weekend. A lot of other stuff. We saw Luis Garcia, the Astros pitcher, who was known for an extreme delivery. His is now quickened up. Um we talked about a couple of weeks ago how, you know, Jason Starr got a great report about how spring training was going to be ugly. Um, and we saw that early on with Machado and a couple other pitch clock violations, but nothing was uglier 
than the Red Sox-Braves game Friday. Or excuse me, on Saturday. Uh, the Braves thought they had won the game with a two-out bases-loaded walk-off walk on Saturday. Um, umpire John Lipka instead jumped up from behind the home plate and indicated strike three. Uh, fans booed. People were going crazy. Um, the Braves, um, I don't even have the guy's first name, and I'm embarrassed to it. It's something Conley. He was facing Red Sox reliever uh, Robert Kwiatkowski, um, and he wasn't set in the box as the clock wound under eight seconds. Again, the penalty is an automatic strike, uh, and that led to the game finishing in a 6-6 tie, uh, and, and Kwiatkowski got a strikeout after only throwing two real strikes. Before I get into the average time, um, I'm going to be honest with you. Having been there in person for a game with the pitch clock and watching some, I think it's one of those things that's going to take a lot of time to get used to, but I think I'm behind it after a couple of days. That's my sense. Or yeah, there's going to be growing pains throughout spring training, obviously, probably into April and May in regular season. Uh, but it's good. You know, it makes these games go by a lot quicker. Which I had a one of my I had a friend over who's a huge baseball fan. Well, Simon, so we trust his baseball opinion. Yes, we value it. I mean, he he made a great point on it. Where look, it's 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 good for the game, makes a lot of sense, but you cannot, you have to do something different in in late in the game. You can't have a game go this way. I was thinking in a save situation, you turn the clock off to have some sort of concrete rule with it, but. Yeah, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but like that to me would be like how you won't watch college hoops because the last like two, three minutes are just so brutal. It's like the same thing where it's like you can't turn fouls off then. You know what I mean? Um, I I agree with you. And and I think that's where it's going to be tricky, especially in April, because the biggest adjustment I think is going to come to relief pitchers because more often than none, they're in with runners on base and have longer deliveries to begin with. So I think that'll be a big test. Another, I forget what writer brought it up, but there was a pitcher on the Guardians this weekend who kept throwing away baseballs. Like, does that count as anything? Because that's, again, not hugely different than stepping off. You know, you're still causing a delay. So I think that's an unforeseen thing that they needed to look at. But yeah, you, you can't have a game ending on that. I wholeheartedly agree with you there. Um, you know, I, I think so, Twitter was kind of blowing up saying, you know, Nomar couldn't play today. And you know what? I agree. You I don't... wouldn't trust the Twitter opinion on this because I think the, the, the consensus is going to be really good for 99% of the time, but that 0.1% is going to cost some value. Well, no, Twitter was in favor. You know, they were just looking at a guy like Nomar who would basically undo his batting gloves for like 30 seconds. And you're just, again, it's little stuff like that, that this is eliminating. There's going to be growing pains. Um, you know, I think to me, the difference between this and the ghost runner is it's, it's a phrase you and I live by change for the sake of change is bad. This to me there was real evidence behind it. Uh, and that was empirically tested in the minor leagues of this is going to speed the game up, uh, you know, the ghost runner. And, and I, to me, this, this changes the game, but to me, like banning the shift more fundamentally changes the game than this. And dictating where a guy can get on the field. It's um, really, itch. I mean, it's interesting that Manfred, it's the other thing, problem baseball is working against it is, there are a lot of changes being enacted, enacted this season. Usually, you like you kind of sprinkle in some change here and there. This seems, this is like we're just going balls in, balls deep with the change. No, it's a lot. It's a lot all at once. Um, all of which is to say, forget the ghost runner rule. I don't like that. 
All that said, though, here are the results. Uh, the spring training games this weekend, on average, were down 23 minutes compared to the same time last year. Um, the average game this weekend was 2.38. Last spring, it took three hours and one minute. And again, I take this with a grain of salt because spring training games inherently go quicker because there's less changes. Guys are working out the kinks. There's no advertising shit you really need to hit. Um, but the longest game was three hours and six minutes. The shortest was two hours and seven minutes. Um, and in a game where there was 18 runs scored between the Rockies and Brewers Sunday, that only lasted two hours and 58 minutes. To me, even if you get the average length of a baseball game down to three minutes and one second, which is what is spring training last year, that's a win. Uh, three minutes is less than significantly less than a professional or college football game. Three hours. And NBA games are sneakily, you know, like two and a half, two forty-five by the time the game starts and halftime, et cetera. Yeah, I think three hours is the sweet spot for professional sports. So so far, so far, so good on this rule. Uh, here's an interesting tidbit that I wanted to point out because I wanted to ask you how much of a dumpster fire you think this would be. To me, this is you got to adapt with the times, even though some tradition is good, but sometimes you have to change. Um, Mark Gooden tweeted, I'm hearing that Fenway Park intends on having an analog pitch clock manually operated by the Green Monster scoreboard operator. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love everything about it. I mean, I love it conceptually, but love everything about it. Are these guys going to be on speed? Like, so that they could just, you know, be doing that by hand quick enough? That's a really difficult thing to do. I don't think it's that difficult. You just you can't take any plays off. Do your job. It's a, it is a job. It's not a people. It's not like an it's not an honor. It's your job is to change the pitch box. Do your job. Yeah, I think it's a bad idea, but I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see it sink or swim. Love it. Blue Jays, they announced Monday that former Astros GM James Click has landed in their front office as a new VP of baseball strategy. In his new role, he will work closely with GM Ross Atkins and department heads on strategic planning, decision making, and evaluating, and will work both among will work across both professional and amateur levels to best identify practices, develop plans, and implement strategies. Again, the Astros surprisingly moved on from Click just weeks after winning the 2022 World Series. This guy was a GM for three years. They got to Game 7 of the ALCS in 2020 in the COVID season. They got around past that and lost in the World Series the year after. This year, they won the World Series. Jim Crane lowballed them, put put out put forth a one-year offer um, that Click was insulted by. Um, so, again, for us as Yankee fans, this is a bummer because Click orchestrated the one team that dominated us the past three years and now is going to a divisional rival uh, who, to me, is probably our biggest competition in the division. I know Tampa's Tampa, but... Blue Jays are loaded. Um, what do you make of this hire? And if you had to guess, Bovada over under one and a half years before Click is running the show uh, for his own team again? I'd say probably. Uh, I'll take the under because he's because you don't go from the Astros job to just take any job. You want to be in the right situation for you or over. I'm sorry, I took the over. I feel like he'll be in Toronto for two years. Um, and look, I mean, what does it mean? Not a ton. I think that Blue Jays team is pretty is pretty set as is. I mean, you don't need to go in there and do a complete overhaul, at least in the short term. Like they got their guys. You said they're the biggest threat to the Yankees. I don't disagree. So I think Click he did a good job in Houston, but again, that was a ready made team. He didn't 
he didn't have to rework it. He took over the 2019 Astros, which I think you and I spoke about at length a few weeks ago, was an unbelievable team, one of the best to never win the World Series. So I think it's a, it's not a bad idea to get a good mind in the room, but I don't think it does much in the short run. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. They are now looking at a team with or a front office with Ross Atkins, Mike, uh, Mark Shapiro, Shapiro, Billy Bean calls him Shapiro. That's why I just did it. Uh, and Click, and uh, you know, this is what the Yankees front office once upon a time looked like. And I yeah, there's a lot of whiz kids in the front office. Yep, that's why you play the game on the field, though. So hopefully that's still the case. Uh, speaking of rules, for the third straight season, Major League Baseball uh, addressed the use of sticky stuff by pitchers across the sport. Uh, Major League sources told The Athletic um, that the message emerged loud and clear over the past week at MLB's annual spring trainings meetings, with clubs being updated on new rules and other changes for the coming season. And in those meetings, MLB informed club officials it will encourage up umpires to refocus on the use of sticky stuff this season. Uh, teams have not been told every step an umpire could take as part of that effort. Uh, but according to those sources who have knowledge of the meetings with the club, this is what could happen. Uh, the inspections of pitchers, hands and fingers, which began last season would be more thorough uh, than the often perfunctionary inspections that umpires performed last year. They would also be more random as opposed to last season where inspections were generally performed at the same, after the same innings, every game uh, hitters suggested that pitchers were using stickier substances in innings where they knew they wouldn't be checked. Uh, and umpires could also resume pick, uh, checking pitchers' caps, gloves, and belts, practice they employed in 2021 but abandoned in 2022 in favor of a more streamlined inspection of hands and fingers. Most significantly, umpires would be empowered to be more aggressive about inspecting pitchers than in the past. So if an umpire observed a pitcher wiping his hand in the same spot repeatedly, for example, ump could go to the mound to perform an inspection in the middle of an inning. I'm all for this. I'm all for this. I think my one concern for this season is – Major League umpires have a ton on their plate, as is. Uh, it's a very difficult sport to umpire. And we saw, especially towards the end last year, some so-so results, especially we got towards the postseason. Given that there's a renewed emphasis on tracking down on sticky substances, as well as all these new rules that umpires are learning and enforcing for the first time, do you think we're going to see a lot of umpire blunders early? I think we always do. And I mean, is Are we talking about C.B. Buckner later? Oh, yeah, it's coming up. Uh, I got one thing to talk about for arbitration, and then we are talking about C.B. Buckner for sure. I mean, I guess, like, in preview of that, yes, some umpires here have re- – it's not an every umpire thing, but we have enough umpires that are egomaniacs and make the show about them. I would not want to give them increased authority and a directive to be more aggressive in their service. I don't trust these guys. Yeah, and, and you do wonder if the inspections – again, I'll, I'll just use Garrett Cole as an example because he's, for better or worse, linked to this stuff. You do wonder if they'll start to be more aggressive within that initiative with certain players as well, players who have this reputation. Yeah, it's – you don't like, – I guess it's not a judgment call, but I didn't think the sticky stuff was hurting anyone anyway. I don't think they should have cracked down at all. I think, again, it goes hand-in-hand hand with the pitch clock, with the bigger bases, um, with banning the shift. It, it, it all is under the overarching heading of Rob Manfred trying to get more eyes on the game and there being more offense. He thinks the pen, which is funny enough, I feel like a lot of this started after the 2019 season when we had the rabbit ball and Brett Gardner was hitting 28 home runs at age 35. Um, so definitely a little bit of irony there, but I think they just thought, look, pitchers are throwing harder than ever before. 
pendulum swinging too far in the other direction. We just, to satisfy these fans, again, for me and you, if we see a pitcher's duel where there's a bunch of strikeouts, I'm clapping my hands, we're grabbing a beer and a hot dog and saying, this is great. Pitcher's duels are the most exciting. A a well-pitched game by both parties is a much better product than an offensive game. I think it's part of the overarching disconnect between trying to appease the casual fans who just want to see home runs and balls put in play versus the guys like me and you actually go to a lot of games and love the sport more than anything. Uh, to us again, a, a, a shutout going into the ninth inning, sign me up. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And, and and almost to take it a step further, do you know what it often means if a shutout is going into the ninth inning? The game, it's like a two-hour game. The game is going quick. So there's just a weird disconnect and correlation between a lot of things here, but whatever. That's what happens when you have a Cornell guy running the show. Ooh, shots fired at Big Red. No, not even shots fired at Big Red. It's, uh, you know, he's in a Cornell industrial late. He runs it like a guy who would, you know, have a degree from an industrial labor relations school. That's still a shot at Big Red. You didn't you didn't change your point. You said it's the same great, thing. It's a great school. I have many friends who went there. It's a great school. I guess I should not have taken the shot at Big Red. It should be, this is the guy who studied business, breathed business, and breathed labor. And I think the people aspect of the game, especially when it pertains to the fans, gets lost in that sometimes. I would have taken shots at Big Red if you hadn't. It's the Andy Bernard syndrome. All righty then. All right, moving along. Uh, I like to give credit when players speak out on certain issues. Um, and I give a lot of credit to Tampa Bay relief pitcher Ryan Thompson. Uh, he lost his arbitration case last week. And, and again, I, I to me at least, there's like a full 30-tweet thread. I'm just going to paraphrase this a little bit from an ESPN article. Not a guy who comes off as bitter for losing. Um, but he said, the biggest issue with the process to me is that the arbitrators get to make whatever decision they come to, but with no explanation or defense in the decision. In any other legal case, the decision is public. This, for some reason, is very hidden and secretive. If the process is created in order for fairness, then why don't we learn the laws of the land? In some sense, we are shooting in the dark for not knowing what the arbitrators lead into and what they disregarded. These understandings matter. Thompson gave the example that he considers holds and the leverage index as the most important statistics for a middle reliever or set of man such as himself. He said the Rays discredited his statistics in those categories and noted his blown saves, lack of usage against left-handers, and what he cited as a fan graph metric called meltdowns. We need to look into that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also noted that he was told not to reveal the date of his case to make sure arbitrators wouldn't research him beforehand and create a bias. He said, however, upon entry to the hearing, they all have phones out and they use them freely during the breaks. After the case, they don't sit in the room and hash out the decision, but rather they head to the hotel bar. It is extremely disconcerting that the arbitrators are socializing, drinking, using their devices prior to make a decision, not at all assuming foul play, just an obvious flaw I witnessed. I think, one, I think one, this highlights what we talked about with Burns two weeks ago. Teams, don't – and again, this is a random middle relief pitcher, but you literally said to a guy you need to try to help you lock down games this year, you led the league in blow-ups last year. What in the world is that going to do to a guy's self-confidence going into a season? Can't be good. Can't be good. So that's, that's one a great argument by the team. But two, from Thompson's perspective, and I agree – and I think it would make the arbitration more process more interesting is if they had a concrete right now, really all we know as fans about the arbitration process is they use previous players who had similar career arcs as 
baselines. And and it's basically all we know is that they use player comparisons frequently. We have no idea what statistics they use. And, and I think it would not only make this more transparent, but it would make the arbitration process more engaging for fans um, if they knew how and why a player was making X amount of dollars. Yeah, because we do go in a but we always you and I always side with the player. Correct. Like Kyle Tucker last year was by any metric a top ten hitter, top ten position player in baseball last year. Hundred RBIs, twenty plus home runs, twenty plus steals, won a Gold Glove, All Star. It was uh, in the middle of a World Series champion lineup. Like, how does that guy not win his arbitration case? Because the reality is, we don't know. And I think Thompson really hits the nail on the head where it's. This is a legal case and any other legal situation in America, it's public as to why this statement was or why the verdict was reached. Why is this any different? I does, I, I mean, again, I always refer to you on this stuff because I have no concept of this. Could this have something to do with the antitrust shit? I, I don't know what the technical type of argument and arbitration hearing is. I, I think you can keep it. From, I don't No, I don't think it's an antitrust issue. I think it's like a behind closed doors classified they, they could do what they want i guess like sure the antitrust could help if it wasn't but i'm not entirely positive the structure of these hearings no one is no nobody is um couple miscellaneous moves and then we'll get into uh cb buckner and ali marmel uh donovan solano one-year major league contract with the twins uh 35 year old this past year played for the reds um, he hit 284, 339, 385, 98 WRC plus could play all over the middle infield for the twins there. Uh, former Yankee Luke Voigt ending up back in Milwaukee. Uh, he had to sign a minor league deal. Did you ever think that, um, Voigt after the COVID season in 2020, where he led major league baseball for 22 home runs, was a huge part of that Yankee team that kind of snuck into the playoffs towards the end, um, that it would have, that he would have fallen so far that last year, uh, he would have hit 225, 317, 416 for the Padres, 228, 295, 381 for the Nationals. And for a non-contending Nationals team, would be non-tender for $5.5 million. He's a weird person to have on a non-contending team. He doesn't, I don't, I don't know him well enough. He's not your traditional clubhouse leader. Or he, well, at least he wasn't with the Yankees. That wasn't his job. Maybe he could do it. Maybe he's, and you know, like, He's a power guy. He's a boomer bust power guy. You'd re- the Nationals are better off giving young kids the best. I think him and Rowdy Telez could be a fun platoon at first in Milwaukee, though. Maybe not a fun platoon to fight. No. Nope. Would- Cole Calhoun, minor league deal with the Mariners. Um, this past year, I'm mostly highlighting this um, to say that Cole Calhoun was in baseball last year. Uh, he played 125 games, 196, 257, 330 slash line. That's probably bad. done. Probably done. I don't see him making the team. I think you'd rather have Kalenic as the fourth outfielder. But uh, Cole Calhoun was one of those guys who for a while, I would say, was on the list of uh, underrated players in baseball. And now he signed a minor league deal with the Mariners. So Maybe he wasn't all that underrated. He was the best player on really bad Diamondbacks. Was he the best player on bad Diamondbacks teams, though? Didn't like Cattell Marte have like one really good year when he was there? Yeah, that's right. Or like David Peralta. David Peralta and Cole Calhoun might be the same player in a lot of ways. Yeah, that that sounds right. All right, let's talk about the main event, the fight of the year. 
CB Buckner and Ali Marmol. And I want to preface by saying shame on us for not doing reporting last year about the initial incident for this. Cause I watched the video and it was pretty epic. Yeah, no, it was a good one. I'm not really sure how we missed it, but we did. So Cardinals manager, Ali Marmol said that umpire CB Buckner has zero class after refusing to shake his hand during the lineup card exchange at home plate before a game against the nationals on Saturday. Buckner and Marmol had a confrontation during an August 2022 game after a disputed strike called a Cardinals third baseman, Nolan Arnado. Buckner ejected Marmol, uh, who emerged to argue, and as the two yelled at each other, Marmol appeared to tell Buckner his time in the sport was done, and Buckner yelled back um, that Marmol had just gotten it to the big leagues. Uh, Marmol said after the game Saturday, I went in the game pretty certain of my thoughts on him as an umpire. They weren't very good, and it shows his lack of class as a man. I chose my words wisely. I just don't think he's good at his job, and it showed his lack of class of a man. Marmol did shake hands with the other three umps, um, and again, he was ejected in the final game last year, and he said, it's not an olive branch. It's just respect. You can have disagreements. You still go to home plate. Anytime I get thrown out of a game, I'll go to home plate the next day for that very purpose. It's unfortunate. I went out to home plate to shake his hand. He didn't want to. He has zero class. I just, I mean, this is crazy to me. Uh, Yesterday, for context, uh, Buckner was umping the game again, and him and Marmol did shake hands. Um, you know, Marmol to add an extra line said, I was raised and brought up in an organization to do exactly what I did today. You go to home plate, hand the lineup card, and you shake the hands of four umpires who were running that game. I want to ask you this. Um, who has the higher Bavada odds of getting fined or suspended for this, Marmol or Buckner? And then we'll talk about the problem itself. Buckner, because he's a piece of shit. If you're Marmol, I respect Marmol for doing this. I think he's looking at a fine just because, again, in any sport, if you bash officials like this. Yeah, you always get fined if you bash the officials. But, I mean, what a joke. Like, I give Marmol a lot of credit. He tried to be the adult in the room and say, hey, let's just put this behind us. I don't know how you can have Buckner on Cardinals games. You can't. There's no way you can. And CB Buckner... I believe is a crew chief, um, which leads to a whole bunch of other uh, problems. But yeah, I, I mean, you just, you know what it does? Honestly, I, I think it, if you're Buckner, this just, this puts a target on your back and it's not one you want at all. It's, I know it's, it's all bad. It's, we already did change for the sake of change. Nick, so we're going to play all this. The optics are terrible. All he had to do was listen to this guy's apology. How do you refuse an apology? Just shake his hand. And even if you don't mean it, you shake his hand and you move on with your day. Exactly. It's like rule one-on-one of the work world. Yeah, just be like, do the easy. It's so dumb. The whole thing is pathetic. That grown-ups fight like this. Yep. Sometimes you got to just fake it till you make it. A uh, couple pieces of injury news. Um, First of which is uh, Lance McCullers. He's hurt for a change. Uh, He told reporters Wednesday that an MRI on his ailing right arm showed a small muscle strain. uh, That being ready for opening day is out of the question. There's no structural damage, um, but he will be shut down for multiple weeks, which makes a season opening stint on the injured list seem likely. I want to say when McCullers signed his five-year $100 million extension, you and I were actually pretty into the extension, but it's pretty amazing. It's great for McCullers. uh, For McCullers. Yeah, been great for McCullers. It's pretty incredible, though, 
how quickly this uh, has aged poorly. And the Astros don't tend to give out a ton of terrible contract extensions, but it looks like this might be the exception to that rule. When did he sign this contract? I want to say 2021. So after 2021 or going, they've been, they'll be fine because they're so strong that he is, their team doesn't revolve around McCullers and he'd be, they're, they're so good that he's a luxury. He's not, they won the world series last year. They're fine without him. I shouldn't be saying this out loud because you are now a full fledged member of our dynasty league. But for anyone who's in a fantasy baseball league, Hunter Brown, who's the Astros top pitching prospect and is basically Justin Verlander light, they say. Um, he's going to get a real shot now. Put him on the draft board. Okay, he signed the extension of March 2021, and it was five for 85, so not quite as bad. But And all they've done is go to two World Series since. Correct. Uh, Joe Musgrove, freak injury. He broke his big toe in his left foot during his weight room accident yesterday. Uh, he won't be clo- clear to throw for a minimum of two weeks, uh, but it's possible he will be sidelined longer than that. He'll have just 16 days to build up before opening day if he is out two weeks. So he will probably be in jeopardy for opening day. Um, but if you are a Padres fan, I'm not too worried. This is like the classic, oops, shit happens injury. Yeah, this is a toe injury. Toes are really important to your overall balance, but you recover quickly. I wouldn't, this is any sort of, you, you, the bone injuries are fine. You don't mind, it's the soft, it's the muscle issues or anything that can linger. A broken toe, he'll heal this one was a bummer for me because this was my Bovada dark horse to win the Cy Young Award. Uh, Ray's right-hander Tyler Glass now is going to miss at least the first six to eight weeks of the season. Uh, he has a grade two strain of his left oblique. Um, so, again, so we're looking at six to eight weeks before he's ready to return to a game setting. That puts him back. Oblique, you know, right that's exactly – that's it. the oblique injuries never go away. No, and and at what point are we just going to label Glass now as the guy with all the potential in the world, but he's injury-prone? You now, know, I – yeah, I think we've hit that point after, you know, the Tommy John surgery. And it's too bad, too, because, you know, look, we've seen Glass now pitch a lot as Yankee fans. This dude, when he's on, there's a very short list of pitchers that I would take over him. I mean, six seven yeah. hammer curve, throws so hard. And I think this year, if McClanahan, you know, with McClanahan's emergence last year, would have been a really strong lightning and thunder combo. The Rays will be fine because the Rays are the Rays, but I, this I just feel bad for the player, honestly, because he overcame so much from Pittsburgh to Tampa, and it just seems like his body's been betraying him. Uh, are we starting to think that that Chris Archer trade may have been pretty good for the Pirates after all? No. Okay. But at the same time, it also gradually ages less poorly. Like Austin Meadows, they traded to Detroit, and you know he missed – I mean, again, you don't like to bring this up in the context of evaluating a trade, but, you know, he was dealing with some anxiety issues, so he missed a good chunk of last year. Um, Shane Baz hasn't really been in the big leagues yet, so it's getting progressively less worse. And that's a win for the Pirates these days. Baby steps. This last injury is a really tough blow for the uh, Dodgers. Gavin Lunks, uh Hurt his leg yesterday in the spring training game, and he tore his ACL and also suffered damage to his right knee's LCL. Uh, so he'll be out the entire year. 25-year-old, again, he's a former top prospect. Hasn't really lived up to that number one prospect billing, but emerged last year as a good everyday player. 
they let Seager walk and let Trey Turner walk all-star shortstops in consecutive seasons to make room for Lux here. Um, now it's Miguel Rojas, who they acquired from the Marlins, is going to be the everyday shortstop. Um, they said that Chris Taylor will get some more reps in short. Mookie Betts will get some more reps in second as a result of that. But after this off short right now, I think, you know, with, like, I don't think Lux is the be-all, end-all, be-all for this Dodgers team. And even with him, there were question marks around his lineup. But not without him, they are 100% a bad short. There is a lot of cracks in the Dodgers' armor, was what I was going to say. Yeah, they're they're missing. I mean, you could argue they're a bat short, a starter short, and a relief. I mean, they're they, – you can't look at the Dodgers on paper and the Padres on paper and tell me the Dodgers are better. I'm just – I'm pulling up the depth chart right now. I, I mean – I mean, I think, I think rotation-wise, because they'll get Bueller back in the second half, I think Kershaw, Urias, Syndergaard, Dustin May, and Gonsolin will get them through. Um, man, they didn't sign any relief pitchers this offseason. They're they they had a bad offseason. I mean, look, they still have Will any team with Will Smith, Freddie, Monty, Will Smith, Freddie. Yeah, no, I mean, even just saying Will Smith, Freddie, and Mookie, I I, I don't think I could give what I finish my sentence to say any team with those three. I'm going to bet on to remain competitive. I, I will bet on that team because of what they have been and proved to be year after year. But And they're going to remain competitive. I chose my words poorly yeah. there, but be real title contenders is what I should have said. No, I mean, I'll check now what Bavada has that NLS odds at because if you could take them, if you can get the Padres, I wonder if it's one of those weird things where they're both plus odds and you should just bet on both of them. Yeah, it's not a bad play. Um, I don't think I have enough money for that to actually be worth it, but if I was doing thousands of dollars, yeah, sure. Miscellaneous news, and then we will end with the MLB Network Top 100 Players list. Uh, Former Guardian and Cub Jason Kipnis retired. Uh, His last appearance in the majors came as a Cub in the 2020 pandemic shortened year. Uh, I was drafted by the Cleveland Guard Indians at the time. The Dodgers minus 120, Padres plus 125. I mean, we should hammer the Padres. I can do that out here in New Jersey for us if we want after the podcast. I, I'm looking. I can do it here. That's fine. Kipnis uh, was top hundred prospect going into the 2011 season. Debuted that year um, and was a really solid second baseman in Cleveland for a while. Um, 2013, he had 284, 346, 452. Finished 11th in the MVP voting. Was an All Star. Signed a six year, 52 million dollar extension. Uh, 2016 was an All Star. Second time, 303, 372, 451 slash line. Uh, he also set the Indians record with 51 hits in a month in May, uh, which saw him hit 429. He was a big piece of that World Series uh, appearing team in 2016. Um, for 2017 to 19, that was sort of the decline. He only hit slash 236, 305, 403. Cubs DOA'd him, or he got DOA'd in Cleveland, and then he ended up on a minor league deal with the Cubs. All told for his career, 263, 343, uh, 416 slash line, 126 home runs, 1,147 uh, hits, and 136 steals. I don't have a ton of memories about Kipnis, but I, I just, when you think of like this st- solid, steady, everyday second baseman that you would want in the lineup, that's kind of what I thought of with Jason Kipnis in like the mid to early 2010s. Um, and also had a really funky batting stance. So uh, congrats to Kipnis on a solid career and good luck in retirement. Yeah, he's another – he was a fun dude. I mean, I'm sure just he had a good personality as a player. I'm sure he'll end up on a baseball podcast in a week or two, and we'll hear from him. But I don't have a, much analysis on his playing career. 
Yep. Give us a solid. Just, just something we bring up because we've talked about it. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah. Um, Albert officially back with the Angels after he retired. Um, he is honoring the ten-year personal service contract at, that he signed as part of his original ten-year. A $254 million deal with the Angels. Uh, he's going to be a spring tr- special instructor at spring training and will head to his native DR during the season to help with the club's prospects there. Said he's open to whatever P- Perry Massima on the GM wants, and he's excited to help the organization, uh, but his vision's himself acting more as a mentor to the players than a front office executive. I mean, I'm happy like he's making like a million a year, but I really wish he was in a Cardinals uniform again. Yeah, this thing, I'm this... I... It's weird because the Angels contract was so just really was not good for either side, and they're just revisiting it. And uh, I mean, look, that's I think he, you bring Albert to spring training every year. That's a great, that's a great adult. That's a great voice in the room. Pays for itself. Um, but don't don't send him to the DR for sure. Just let him do his. Just let him move on. He's a cardinal. Well, it sounds like he's also gonna like on his own spend some time there. You know. Yeah, so I mean, it's fine. This is as long as Albert's cool with it, I'm cool with it. Yeah, we love Albert. Albert's the king of cool. Yeah, he's the machine. Nets are getting sued, and I mostly bring this up to tell, ask if you think there's any legal merit there. Uh, former Mets pitching coach Phil Reagan has filed an age discrimination lawsuit against Sterling Mets LP, the former majority owner of the franchise, and Brony Van Wagen. And so again, the Mets aren't even being sued. The Wilpons are being sued. Um. Reagan's lawsuit alleges that he was not retained as the Mets pitching coach following his interim stint in his in the role in 2019 solely because they wanted to hire someone younger. He was 82 at the time and served as the Mets pitching coach from late June 2019 to the end of the season, replacing Dave Island, and was replaced that offseason by current pitching coach Jeremy Hefner. Dude, I get it. You're trying to make some money. You were 82 years old. Like, you're... That if you made that argument in court, you would be you would lose because that's the entire case. I, I mean, no, I know. I think what it comes down to it though, it's like you were an interim pitching coach for a reason. They wanted to bring in a guy, and I and it's again, it's like I say, young guy, but I think they wanted to bring in somebody fresh and bring in somebody in a new direction. I'm sure I get it. no, like I mean, what you said is correct. If I you're just dancing around calling him old. He was old and they didn't want to hire an old. But also, I'm sure there's, there's other reasons why he wasn't brought back. It was also a new manager. Wasn't that Callaway's last year and then they hired Rojas in 2020? They hired Beltran first. I, I hired a new manager. Yeah. So, again, in, I thought I was scrolling Twitter. If the Mets said to him verbatim, you're too old to be brought back, then he's got a case. But otherwise, the Mets will find a very easy argument out of this one. I mean – would there be a franchise? You almost think out loud to yourself, would there be a franchise dumb enough to do that? But the Wilpons might be that dumb. They've proven to be. Yeah, pretty much without fail. Uh, some payroll news. Major League Baseball's average salary rose 14.8% to a record 4.22, million last year after the end of the lockout. It was the highest increase since a 17.7% increase from 2020 uh, to $1.61 The average has dropped in each of the free four previous seasons before 2022. Um, So it's good to see that the lockout at least led to some immediate results. And parents out there, if your kid's decent at baseball, have them stick with it. Average salary is $4 million. Not bad. Well, that's the average. That's skewed. I'm sure that's skewed up by the Machado, by the Trouts, by the judges. 
Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, and I just wanted to bring this up because it's a fun anecdote. And if I was a big league pitcher, I'd like to think I would do this too. Uh, Matt Strom, who's a relief pitcher, collects baseball cards um, and autographs of every player who's homered against him in his career. Um, it's a small part of his collection of close to 1 million cards, uh, but there are 39 players who have homered a combined 42 times in a seven-year career. This includes Miggy and Freeman, Christian Yelich, Donaldson, Bellinger, Ryan Braun, Jose Abreu, J.R. Murphy, and Phil Irvin. Um, but he needs a card from Charlie Blackman, Jonathan Scope, and Patrick Wisdom. I just thought that was fun. It's fun. I wouldn't let that out. I, I'd kind of keep that. I wouldn't want that leaked because now when you say he's given up homers to Miggy and Freeman, it's like, oh, maybe he just didn't groove him once so he can get the card. But then you yeah, ended I, up with Dan Murphy. I think, like, oh, I, guess I think he just doesn't care. I mean, it's not. It's it's fun. It's cool. Good for him. All right. MLB Network, top 100 players right now. How deep into the weeds do we want to get? Do we want to do top 25? Yeah, that's a lot. I was just thinking top 10. All right. Well, I want to do top 25 for a couple things, uh, a couple of reasons. Um, one, and is it possible? Okay. Corbin Burns, 27. That feels well, a little. Top 27 or top 25? We're going to do top 25. I just want to mention Burns because we talked about the arbitration last week. Burns at 27 feels low to me. He's been the best pitcher in baseball over the last two years. Tatis was 26. Top 25. Acuna fell from 10 to 25. He'll be in the bet top ten next year. He it's that's injury. Here and again, it's these trio of Astros. Bregman at twenty four, Altuve at twenty three, Correa at twenty two. Uh, Lindor is no longer on the Astros. No, I'm just I loop them together there for convenience and former Astros. Uh, Lindor at twenty one. Honestly, the only one of those three guys I see as a top twenty five guy is Altuve. Yeah, I would have uh, Acuna ahead of all of them. I would have Bregman lower. I'd certainly have Correa lower. It's amazing to me with Correa. We banged that drum so many times in this free agency. How much intangibles are valued? It's like if you look at the actual numbers, this guy's career lines are like a 285 average, 23 home runs, and 80 ribbies. Yeah, he's they're, – they're, it's just he has a lot of postseason moments. You can clearly imagine Carlos Correa hitting a home. 100%. I just, again, I think it's too much on the intangibles. No, again, Acuna's Acuna, if he's 25, he'll be he'll be the metric. I will just only refer to players who I think Acuna should be ahead of. Top 20? I actually um, think Acuna. I can't do that. I think Acuna's, if you told me Acuna was one, I'd be like, whatever. Top, top 20 from 20 to 11. There's nobody I disagree with being here. Uh, from 20 to 11 in order, Austin Riley, Devers, Vlad Jr., Harper, Julio Scherzer, Verlander, Sandy, Soto, Trey Turner. That's fine with me. That sounds right. Um, all right, the top 10. Here's the first thing I want to bring up before I do the list. No pitchers in the top 10. What do you make yeah. of that? I would have just rigged the voting. I mean, there's one pitcher, but he's more than just a pitcher. I would have I would have put Sandy at 10. Just give him the poke. It. Just flop, flip him up to 10. So the first thing I would have flip-flopped, um, they have Freddie at 10 and Jordan at 9. Yeah, Jordan's the guy. I would have put, I would have booted Jordan from the top 10. Just for, he doesn't have the track record long. The rest of this top 10 is. Yep, that's why I'd have Freddie at 9. Jose at 8, I have no qualms. Jose Ramirez. Goldschmidt at 7. Honestly, I'd probably flip Jose and Goldschmidt, but 
Yeah, but it's uh, that's splitting hairs. It's going to turn on the MVP. You give them seven. Um, and I think the top six, they did a good job. Arenado, and I'm okay with the order, too. Arenado at six. Yep. Machado at five. Can't say enough good things about Machado. Mookie at four. Mookie, you he just there's something now he's so valuable because he you know what it is with Mookie? He's just he's become a very streaky player in a lot of ways. Like I think that is four, five, six. If you put Mookie, you can shuffle around four, five, six. Like last year, Mookie had what some would call a quote unquote down year. He's fifth in the MVP voting, gold glove, silver slugger, led the league in runs, 40 doubles, 35 home runs, career high. 82 ribbies, 12 steals. Yeah, 82 ribbies, I guess he doesn't doesn't stack up with Machado or not. I think it's because Mookie's not hitting like 340 anymore, but his power numbers are way up. And he might be doing it all from second base next year, so. Trout, three. Yeah. Judge, two. Otani, one. I think they got, at a minimum, I think they got the top 10 players. I can live with that. If you wanted to boot Jordan, sure, but... One through nine, I think they hit the nail on the head, and I don't have too many problems with the order. No, they do. This they these lists usually invite a lot of controversy, but they got it right at the top. The no pitching thing is interesting to me. You know, maybe uh, Trey Turner in the top ten. I think you could certainly make a case. I still think I would have Harper in my top ten because I just yeah. think again he missed half a season last year. He's going to miss half a season this year. So no, I get it, but he was so good when he did play. And carried them to a World Series with a torn elbow. He's badass. So, I don't know. That's my one thought on that. I mean, I'm just going to scroll down real quick and see uh, some random guys. Carlos Rodon making his debut at 38. Where's Cole? 37. That seems wrong to me. Cole fell from 16 to 37. Here are the players immediately ahead of him. Max Fried, Zach Wheeler, Bo Bichette, Seager, Bogarts, Pete Alonzo. I'm taking Cole over any of those players. I'm definitely taking him over any of those pitchers. Um, Adley Rushman made his debut. I'm going to just say guys who debuted. Adley debuted at 41. McNeil at 45. When I say debut, they were not ranked the year before. Andres Jimenez. Like, Andres Jimenez at 47 seems high to me. Yeah, he do it again. If, do you're, it if, if you're giving me Andres Jimenez at 47 or Urias at 50, it's a no-brainer. Like, they also list like, – I know he's somewhere deep on the list. They list Stanton so low on this list. Stanton, it's like – Stanton just hits bombs, man. Dude, it's bombs. Here's another one. Michael Harris the third and Nemo are 53 and 54. There's no scenario where I'd rather have either of those guys over Fromber, who's 56. No, not even a little. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think they – I think you know what I think it is. I think you and I look at this and we look at it a little bit more holistically. I think they really emphasize the right now portion of it, which is fair. Yeah, for a list. I get it. They're just doing their job. All right, that's all I got for this week's podcast. Any concluding thoughts on your end? No, be good. Stay safe, healthy, happy. Uh, February flew by. It's the shortest month every year. It's true. Tomorrow is March, so enjoy your March. Um. I'm the biggest schmuck in the world who, despite some crazy airline delays the past couple of days, is flying back out west Saturday. So I will be in Los Angeles. So if you need a, to get a hold of me and I don't respond, it's not that I'm not listening to you. It's just, you know, I'm three hours behind. Um, or it might mean I don't want to talk to you, depending on who you are. But you should know that at this point, based on how I respond. Like your friend who doesn't talk to the friend group anymore. 
Correct. Uh, UCLA, shout out to the Bruins basketball team winning the Pac-12. That was pretty great. And I'm trying to give one more shout out. Let me think. Shout out to Cocaine Bear for crushing it at the box. Oh, wow. I thought you were just doing a shout out to Cocaine. No, shout out to Cocaine Bear for uh, crushing it. I'll shout out to all the people out there who resisted Cocaine. Good for you. Yes. <laughs> we will just leave it at that and say yes. With Bryce Holden, my name is Jason Bedorsky. This is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. Have a great week. <laughs>